Do you remember how old you were when you learned the five W's in school? I was young enough to be really annoying to my parents for a solid block of time after I was introduced to the concept. The answers to these questions are the basis for basic information gathering. And importantly, they can't be answered with just a yes or a no. I wonder if you realize that one of these W's can be absolutely pivotal to a thriving art and photographic practice. And in case you want to guess, let me tell you, it is my toddler's favorite W of them all that she says about a million times in a row until I turn into every stereotypical parent and I just start saying, because. This episode is really a fun one because it can build an underlying foundation that will prop up all of your work in a way that you might have not even realized was missing. So let's do this. Hi, I'm Christine Richet, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Have you ever wondered why some photographers' images get hundreds of likes and others only get a fraction, even if maybe they have the same number of followers. Maybe even it's your work that's on par with the quality of another photographer that you know, but they seem to just get so much more traction. What is that game-changing difference that gets their work in front of thousands of people and yours in front of less? Is it going viral? Is it good marketing? Is it having a lot of friends or knowing the right people or spending a million years on social media, scrolling, replying, hitting like on as many other images as you can until your eyes bleed? No, it's not. And especially not the last one. Yes, all of those things will help, but they don't address the underlying reason. The thing that creates the je ne sais quoi around some work and not around others. And it's actually very simple, as most good things in life are. Photographers who have, air quotes, made it big, you know, the ones selling their work to collectors, getting gallery showings, actually connecting with their audiences, they all have one thing in common. They know why they are creating their work. And they effectively communicate that idea with their audience. Yes, that is the W I want to talk about with you today. It's probably not a surprise 
if you've been in my world for any period of time, it's really a basic tenet of how I teach. Because when we understand why, we are much more likely to continue with the activity. I have this conversation actually with my six-year-old every single day. He will get annoyed at his baby sister and yell at her to stop. And you can guess how well she listens to that. So instead, I intervene. And I do one of two things, depending on how bad the yelling is. One, I'll get Oscar to actually tell his sister why he wants her to stop. Or if they are in like absolute chaos, I will do that for him. And I will tell his sister why he wants her to stop it. And 80% of the time, she will actually listen and stop doing it. Now, the other 20% of the time, she's just being a true toddler and she'll like cackle maniacally and then keep doing it. You know, you win some and uh, some just always devolve into tears, probably on both sides, frankly. Um, But I'm pretty sure that's just parenting in general. But there is a very good reason that this works. People want to know why. There was a 1977 experiment done by Ellen Langer. It's called the copy machine experiment. In it, the experimenter asked to cut in line at a copy machine. This was back when people had to always use copy machines. Was not computers, internet, all of the things. So when doing so, the experimenter had three different levels of requests that they tracked. First, the experimenter just asked to cut in line with no specific reason. Second, they asked to cut in line and they gave a non-reason like, hey, can I cut in front of you? I need to make copies. In case you're wondering, that's what everyone else is doing. Okay. And lastly, they asked to cut in line and give a valid reason like, oh, hey, can I cut in front of you? I'm in a hurry and I need to make some copies. The results really surprising. So the first request with no reason at all, just, hey, can I cut in line in front of you? The answer was 60% of the time, yes. For the second request, that really was a non-reason. The answer was a yes, 93% of the time. And for the last, which was actually a valid reason, get this, the answer was yes, 94% of the time kidding me? Now, to be fair, the first part of the experiment, the experimenter only had a few pages to copy. So it wasn't a huge request. It's not like they were again in front and copying a whole book. So to hear that once they gave any reason that yes, skyrocketed, it makes a bit more sense. They did repeat the experiment where the experimenter had a lot of pages to copy, and then the results get a little bit varied. The no reason, just, hey, can I cut in front? Got a yes 24% of the time. The non-reason, hey, can I cut in front of you because I need to make some copies? Got a yes 24% of the time. The same as no reason at all. But then when someone had an actual valid reason, they received a yes 42% of the time. So when presented with an actual valid reason why people were more willing to be helpful, even at their own inconvenience, why 
is an incredibly important word. So much so that like, I can't even get mad at my daughter saying it at least 30 times an hour, every hour of her current waking life. And if you don't take the time, your time, to invest in figuring out why you are creating work, how can you expect your audience to invest their time into your work? People are busy. People are not going to take the time to figure out stuff in your photos, in your work that you yourself have not taken the time to do. They are not going to magically say, oh, I see where you're going with this image and it resonates with me. No, they're just going to scroll on past. We live in a world of consumption culture. To actually stop the scroll, to actually get someone to stay with your work for more than 10 seconds, and 10 seconds is being generous, it takes something more. And that more is why. I want you to imagine that you are standing in a room with all of the people who follow you. And that can be the people who follow you on Instagram, the people who follow you on Facebook, if you have a Facebook page, or that can just be your friends on Facebook. Because some people will say things like, oh, I don't have an audience out there. I don't have people who are looking at my stuff. And that's okay. I just create for me. You know, it's just for me. Well, we've talked about this a little bit already in a previous podcast episode. We don't create in a vacuum. If that was the case, you would never put your work out there. You would never put it out there for someone else to see it. But then we get into this conversation of like, oh, well, yeah, but I don't have an audience, right? I don't, there aren't people out there who are looking at what I'm doing. It's not like these people on Instagram who I see who have thousands of followers. Well, I'd like to start with, Picasso didn't have an audience when he started. But start with where you are now. So do you have an Instagram account? How many followers do you have? Do you have 10, 20, 50, 100? What about on Facebook? How many Facebook friends do you have? Tell those followers, tell your friends stories about your images. Weave in your why. The real reason behind the photograph, that is going to get them to connect with your work and who you are. And if you're thinking to yourself, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I don't, I can't give you anything on that except to do it anyways. I went, no, I can, I can give you something on that, but we'll get there in just a moment. A lot of people will think, and this isn't going to be you, we're going to get through this, that just because they don't have as many people listening to what they're saying, that they shouldn't say it, that they shouldn't go through that uncomfortable piece. But I can tell you this, I would rather have 50 people in a room who actually cared about what I was doing, who I could have a real conversation with, than speak on a stage to 5,000 people who could care less about what I'm doing. And that's what happens on social media when you start to think about why you are creating and you start to tell that in your work. You start to caption your images with stories, with why. 
Because all of a sudden, even if you only have 25 people following you, those 25 people start reading what you're saying and they start connecting with it. I want you to take a moment. This is a fun little visualization. And this is something I do all the time when I'm like, oh, it's not quite enough. It's not enough people. I'm not reaching enough. Facebook is being a bum again. And I'm only getting like 20% of my followers are seeing what I'm putting out there. I want you to actually stop and visualize wherever you are right now, all of your followers. So how many people do you have following you? Is it 25? Is it 250? And visualize all of those people in a room. Can you imagine? That's what social media does for us. It's like getting into a room with these people and getting to have a conversation with them. And you get to put something out there in the world that will make them so interested that they then chat with you and interact with you about it. And you get to build relationships and connections with them. And that's what makes people interested in what you're doing. Not that you got to get out when the wildflowers were blooming and you took a pretty picture of them. That's just the talking piece. That's the creation that we then get to imbue with all this power behind why we've done it. So I do want to talk just quick. We're coming back to the little rabbit hole that I said before, where, you know, it can be uncomfortable to do this, to weave in your why into these conversations that we're having, to put yourself out there in a way that feels vulnerable. Yeah, it can be difficult. I understand. Sometimes I hit posts on something and I'm like, oh, did I just send that out? I just send that out to my newsletter list with 10,000 people. Oh gosh, I did. That happened. But you know why I keep doing it? Oh, this is going to get made a. It's because I know why I'm doing it. Yeah, right? Why is important. I'm doing it because even if 99% of the people who read it are like, oh, Christine's a little bit flaky today. What is she on? There will be someone who will read what I have to say and it will make a marked difference in their life. And I want you to think about the fact that your lived experiences, the things that go into why you are creating the work that you're creating will resonate with someone else. And the more that you unabashedly put yourself out there, that is going to inspire other people. It is going to touch other people's lives. And I am here to tell you, not everyone is going to let you know that that's happening. There are people who have reached out to me and they have said, Christine, I've been following you now for years. And I finally wanted to say thank you for X, Y, Z. I know that when I consistently show up and I talk about my work in a way that is real, that connects to why I'm creating it, that is often a little bit vulnerable as well, it gives people something to resonate with and it helps inspire people. Now, I still can hear a couple people in the back saying, yeah, I get that, but you know what? I'm just creating it for me. I'm not creating this for anyone else. Uh, I'm going to make it for me. And you know what? If other people like it, that's great, but this is only for me. And I said this a little bit before, but if that was true, you wouldn't put it out there. And further that, it's not a good way to get your work out there and have other people be interested in it. 
It's just really not. People are drawn to photographic work for one of two reasons only. The first is that they have been to the place that's been photographed or a place that's visually similar. That's the first reason. The second is that they connect with why the person created the work. And if you think about that, the first is only really going to connect with a very small subset of people. The only people who have been to the spot that you've been to. So unless it's an incredibly popular spot that gets hundreds of thousands of people at it a year or tens of thousands even, your work has very little potential to connect with people. I talk about this all the time with my students, this incredible power of why. Like, why am I going to get out of bed at 2 a.m., drive for hours, have very little sleep, and stand outside in the cold all night long? Why would I even want to do that? When my alarm goes off at 2 in the morning and I wake up bleary-eyed, what is the reason why I get out of bed instead of just rolling over and going back to sleep? It's knowing why I'm creating stuff. And maybe at this point, you are on board. You're wondering, you know, how do I actually dig into my why? And maybe you're thinking to yourself like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I've got this, Christine. We're good. I know why I go out and take photos at night. I know why I take pictures. Okay. I think you do. But I think we can go deeper. So I want to give you some tools and exercises for delving deeper into your why. The first thing that I ask of you is just answer, why do you create nightscape photos? And if you haven't thought about it before, I want you to give yourself a moment to consider the reasons why. Maybe take a moment, pause this podcast, and just actually think about what is my reason why? Because let's face it, our beds are warm and comfy, and not being sleep hungover while at work is actually quite nice. So we really need a good reason why to be out at all hours of the night. So once you have that idea of why in your head, this is the litmus test to see if you have really gotten to the heart of it. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is your why specific to only you? Could someone else say it out loud and also have it be true for them? If the answer to that question is yes, there's a good chance that you have not gone deep enough yet. So if I say to you, hey, why do you create nightscape photos? And you say, oh, it's because as a kid, I spent a lot of time outside and I really love the night sky. Well, I could also say that. And so could many other people. That's not your why. That's certainly a part of it, but you haven't dug in deep enough. And that's okay. Look, we are not trained to go around digging deep into the recesses of our brain to understand exactly what drives our behaviors. That's why they're therapists, after all, you know, trained professionals for that type of thing. Actually, in our house, we call them brain doctors uh, since they help our brains work better. I know it's an oversimplification, um, but uh, it's the best way to talk about it with our kids so they understand. But let's go deeper than that. We're not just going surface level here. That's not what we do. And if you're wondering why I'm asking you to do this, yeah, I know, I'm getting heavy on the why today. It's so that you can connect with your viewer more. But it's also to make you a better photographer. When you truly know why, it's going to drive everything that you do. 
Now, one of my students introduced me to this exercise as a way to find the root cause of something that happened. I think it's a simple but powerful method of understanding your why. And I mean really simple and really powerful, like the best things are. Are you ready for this? You ready? Okay. Ask yourself why five times. So that is start with the question, why do you create nightscape photos? Answer that question, write it down if you want to, and then ask why again to that answer. Write that answer down and then do it again and again. In this method, it's often called five why. The idea is to do it five times, but I would recommend that you do it as many times that it takes until you get an answer that only you could give that isn't true for anyone else. Now, I'm not going to lie. This can be a bit uncomfortable. The first couple answers are okay, generally. We're like, yeah, I've got this. Oh, yeah, I see. This is, this is more. And then you keep doing it and you keep asking yourself the question and you keep answering it. And you explore things that maybe you haven't thought about in a while. In fact, a student did this work in one of my classes. I have a bonus course called Images with Impact, and it goes farther on this idea, basically. And they came up with a why that completely floored them, having to do with a past experience that is now showing up quite literally in their photos. But the fact that you're here and you're with me and you are still listening means that you are open to doing this work. Does it have anything to do with actually like physically taking the photos? No. Will it absolutely change the way you and others perceive and interact with your work? Heck, how, even how you create your work. Yeah, it will. We connect with art, whether that's photos, writing, sculpture, music, theater, etc. When the creator has taken the time to know their why and communicate it with us through their work. If I see a post on Instagram of a building in the fog and it just says, foggy days, I'll probably just scroll past unless I know the building and I like have fun memories of it. But if I were to see the same post and instead it said, I love walking through the city on foggy days because fog is pretty and it makes me nostalgic. I don't know. I might connect a little bit more. I might stay with it for a second and be like, oh yeah, I love foggy days too. It makes me feel like I'm in a ghost movie, but I would likely just kind of scroll on by. I wouldn't spend that much time. But now let's say I see the same photo and I see a caption on it that reads, on foggy days like today, when skyscrapers and distant roads are shrouded by the fog and obscured from view, I'm always taken back to those spring days spent oceanside with my mom, waiting for my dad to come home on the boat. I can almost hear the foghorn as I'm walking through these buildings encompassed in fog. Though that might be the taxis instead. And sometimes it feels the same, like I could walk through that thick fog and be by the dock waiting again. Okay, none of that is real. <laughs> we grew up as far inland as you can get in Nova Scotia, but did you connect more with that last caption? Did you start to feel something? Now, people will often tell me that I'm a good storyteller, to which I say thank you. But in reality, it's just that I know why I'm creating my images. And then I weave that why into everything I write about. My stories are just an effective way to communicate the same central idea that runs through all of my work. And I use stories because I know how easy it is to connect with people through story. So not only does knowing why 
shape how I present and talk about my work. It also defines how I create my work. And I think it will do the same for you. So I started, like most night photographers, just taking pictures out at night of the sky. And then I moved into doing nightscapes and Milky Way photography. And the next natural progression is to want to use longer lenses, to start using a tracker. And it's funny, I'm starting, I have a first Q&A at the time of recording. We have our first Q&A tonight for our Milky Way alumni. I have a star tracking class that I just offer to my alumni and we're doing our first call tonight. I'm very excited. It's like the, uh, the gateway drug um, to get you into scopes and heavier mounts and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I probably shouldn't say that I'm a drug dealer on a podcast that is, uh, that's going to be public, but anyways, uh, not real drugs. Obviously we're talking about telescopes. Um, so once you start photographing the Milky Way, then you're like, but there's all this other stuff I can shoot. Maybe I'll just try and use my really nice long lens. And you start taking pictures of these amazing, beautiful things in the sky. And I've seen these photos before. I have had NASA's APOD um, bookmarked in my, in my web browser for, I can't tell you how many years, like since I've had my own computer, pretty much. I love them. I just think they're amazing. But also, I was never really like, oh, I need to create those. And if you understand why I create the work I do, this will actually make a lot of sense. Because my work is about connection. It's about connection between the universe, the stars, our galaxy, and our Earth. So it's that connection of the celestial with the terrestrial. That's the thing that gets me really, really excited because it's real. It exists. It's there. We just don't necessarily see it with our eyes. But when it's paired in an image with a foreground, with this place on earth, we see that direct connection between the two of them. And for me, that was missing in a lot of these deep sky photos until I saw this deep scape photo. And it was by my friend, Paul Schmidt. And I was like, that is really cool. And that is not real. And of course, he can tell you how many times he heard that because now I have heard it multiple times. But he did an amazing blog post on it showing that, yeah, it is actually real. And I immediately was like, oh, I am doing that. That is amazing. And is it technical? Yes. Is it challenging? Yes. Is it amazing when it works out? Yes. So I go through all of this hard work to put together these deepscape images. They are a long time shooting, a long time scouting, prepping, planning, putting them together, all of it. Um, one image shooting alone can be between four to five hours just shooting the actual image. That doesn't take into account the planning, the scouting, the editing, all of those pieces. But when we know my why it makes sense that those are the images that call to me because we have the object up in the sky and we have it setting over a specific landscape. And the images that I'm taking are a technically true representation of reality. And it shows you that connection. Like I have this one image of Andromeda setting and Andromeda is our nearest neighboring galaxy. And to see Andromeda coming down and setting over our landscape, just like a moon set. To me, that's so powerful. 
And it makes sense that I'm drawn to those types of images. So yeah, our why can do more. It can define the way that you create and what you are interested in creating. So now it's your turn. I want you to go through the five levels of whys and challenge yourself to answer honestly. Look, you don't have to share this with anyone. The first step is not like, oh, I did this and now I'm going to put it out to the world. No, it's just taking the time to be honest with yourself. And when you think you can't go any deeper on the answer, you can't get any more specific. Run that litmus test. Can someone else try this on? as a why and have it be theirs? If the answer is yes, you have more work to do. And if it passes that next step, then I want you to think about how does what you've created up until now fit with this why? Because it will. And the work that resonates with you the most is going to really fit in with this why that you've come up with. And then I want you to think, how might you create something new in the future that aligns with this idea? Because when you are in alignment, things flow. And when things flow, magic happens. Thank you so much for listening along with me today. I know we went down on a few rabbit holes, but I think it's really important for the way that you create and to help you keep creating amazing work. I would absolutely love to know what resonated with you the most from today's episode. And if you found the exercises helpful, heck, let me know that you've done the exercises. I like giving out homework. I like even more when people do it because I know the transformation you will get when you do. Please, please, please screenshot this episode, share it in your stories if you have any thoughts or send me a DM about it. As always, thank you so much for listening and I will catch you on the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast episode today. If you're excited about night photography, but you don't know where to start, then listen on. This is for you. Well, hello, it's Christine. I am the host of the After Dark Photography Podcast, and I'm the founder of the Night Photography Academy. And if you don't know me, I have been a professional photographer since 2009 and teaching photography actually since 2008. When I first started teaching photography, it was to students who had excitedly just bought their first ever camera, or maybe who had a digital SLR sitting on a shelf, gathering dust, and they were finally ready to learn how to use it. Now, almost 15 years later, I find the same kind of people coming to me super jazzed about night photography. But frankly, overwhelmed at where in the heck to even start. For one, they haven't mastered using their camera on manual mode, let alone doing things like equivalent exposures, which is really the bedrock of night photography. And if that sounds like you, I have just the thing. I am giving you 100% free access to the first module of my Photography for Beginners Bootcamp. This was a hybrid online in-person class that I taught here in Nova Scotia before the pandemic happened. People would take the class online and then I would run field trips where we would go out and practice together. And I am giving you access to the first module completely for free. Unfortunately, field trips are not at this time available. Imagine 
that you know exactly what setting is the most important to use on your camera in any given situation based on, you know, what you want to create, what's that vision in your head. And not only that, you know how to do all that, but you also know how to troubleshoot. So maybe if things look too dark or too bright or too blurry or even too sharp, you will know exactly what to do to fix it and get the image you want. After going through this totally bingeable course, you will master manual mode on your camera and be able to confidently create beautiful images with your digital SLR or mirrorless camera. To sign up, go to christinerosephotography.com slash bootcamp. And that will be in the show notes too, if you just want to do a quick click and hop on over there. Thanks so much. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode.